0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at ww.corn or by subscribing to our podcast. Again, I do want to thank those that are uh leading us this morning in worship. I thank you for that. Open your Bibles to John fourteen. The first part of this sermon is going to sound a little bit like last week. Uh hang with me. Don't leave. Um, last week I said there was three things that, that we could draw out of knowing the end of the story. Remember we were talking about how as we look at Revelation 21 and 22, God has told us the end of the story already. And so there's some benefits there. And I mentioned three last week, and uh, I, I felt like afterwards I didn't do a good job of really tying together that first one. And that is that when we know the end of the story, it gives us hope in the chaos that we're presently living I gave the example last week of how Disney, Walt Disney, he blended that into so many of the stories that somehow you thought, there's no way that the prince is ever going to find Sleeping Beauty. There's no way that Cinderella is going to be a match with this slipper that was left behind at the ball. And yet, when we go through those stories, even though there's times of conflict and chaos, and it seems like it's never going to work out, what happens at the end? It all works out. And he used that as to tell that method to tell a lot of stories. What's well, good when it's kind of a, a Disney you know story, not so much fun when it's your life and my life. This morning, I really want to tie those things together in an actual application that we see from God's word with Jesus and his disciples. How he's telling them the end of the story, and yet in the present, all they can see is the chaos, and fear overwhelms them. See, that's the part of faith, the challenge of faith and belief, is that even though we're told the rest of the story, Christ comes back. We are the victors because of the victory of Jesus Christ. In those moments when our life is under the pressure and in the crucibles of worry and all those different things that can happen, sometimes we, we forget how the story ends. John chapter 14 Verse one. Now, to set this up a little bit, this is toward the very, very end of Christ's life. He's already told the disciples that he's going to go to the cross, that he's going to die. They're kind of reacting in a very negative way because they're fearful. This is the man that they've followed for the last three years, faithfully and unfaithfully. They've been up and down the chaos of, of belief and fear in their own lives. And now, all of a sudden, your leader, after you've invested three years of following, I'm going to go. I'm not going to be here anymore. You can only imagine. Look what happens. John 14:1. This is the words of Christ. He says, let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now in that simplicity right there, guys, how many of you believe that in its simplicity? How hard is that to actually live out in the days and in the times when you're in the crucibles of life? Is there one thing to know that is truth and another one to be kind of in that blanket every single day? Does that make sense? That there's a lot of truths that we see in the Bible and we do believe them if you just ask, hey, do you believe that right there? That our hearts should not be troubled? Why? Because God's already got the end of the story. Believe in God. Believe also in me. They knew the rest of the story. Jesus already said, I'm going to be arrested. They're going to put me on a cross. I'm going to die, but I will rise again. He said that over and over again. This was not a surprise to the disciples. And yet every time they kind of rebelled against that. No, Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross. Uh, Peter's, in Bobby's own words, but Peter's, to to paraphrase, uh, Peter, over my dead body. It almost was a dead body. How is it that we as Christians can have the word of truth, know the end of the story, place faith in that, and yet still fill the pressures of everyday life? When all of a sudden we find out that maybe our job isn't going to last, that all of a sudden you know uh, the spouse doesn't want to be married anymore. Or perhaps one of the most dangerous dilemmas in our lives that many of y'all are actually experiencing uh, right now when one of our children or grandchildren is in the throes of some type of a health situation or, or something like that, people of faith, they believe in a God that can heal, a God that prevails, and, and yet when these vulnerabilities, especially as we've said before, with our children and our grandchildren, then all of a sudden it's like we get weak need, guys. And why is that? Because we're just bad, bad people? No, it's because we're people. See, this comes with our sin condition. Ever since the fall, this is how it's been. We have good days, we have bad days, we have happy times, we have sad times. That's life in the fallen world. And yet there's not a consistency there that we can always track. Perhaps one of the most frustrating verses, and I'm not saying that to you, God, I'm just saying, it rains on the just and the unjust. Do you like that verse? I mean, it explains life, but I don't like that. Because I want to go, no, I-, I want life to be good for the just. And then I have to remember one major truth. Except for Christ, I'm not just. <laughs> and that when He showed grace and that He would give us life and life eternal and life abundantly by grace, not because we earned it. And so even when we see those verses in the Bible that say, okay, bad things can happen to good people, we think we're one of the good people. Guess what, folks? <laughs> Theologically, we're not. There is not a good person except for Christ himself. And so we get confused. And even though we say, okay, I'm not going to let my heart be troubled because I believe in God and I believe in the promises of Christ. And I believe that because of his life, death, and resurrection and his promise to return, I can count on this. I know the end of the story. But let's make sure that we're translating knowing the end of the story with peace for today in the midst of the chaos. Now, that's what I didn't, I don't know that I really did a good job of that last week and I really wanted to make that a point because I think all good theology has an application to our lives today. It's not just head knowledge. And so when we say, okay, Christ comes, says, I'm going to return again one day. I'm going to, I'm building a place so that I can be with you and you can be with me. Great theology, great truths, but how does it apply to the chaos, to the troubles, to the friction in life that we experience today? It applies directly. And yet, when we go through the Old Testament and New Testament, it was the method of the Jewish writers, of the New Testament writers, here's the theology and here's the application. They never did an application first and then tried to fill it in with theology. They always gave biblical truths. Go read Ephesians, read Philippians, read Romans, and you're going to see first half, and sometimes almost truly half, here's the theology, here's the application. That we build our life experiences, application on truth, God's truth. And that's what I really want to focus on this morning, because here's the problem, guys. We live in a world... Where you are being instructed, even more than your own natural leaning toward this, to make feelings and emotions the champion of your life, the direction of your life. That when things are up, that you're up. When things are bad, you're down. God's truth that he gives throughout the word is to to do kind of two things with our emotions and our feelings. Now, he's the one that gave us emotions and feelings. We are not apologizing for God making us emotional creatures. That gives us the ability for me to love my wife. It gives me the ability that when I'm on FaceTime with my grandchildren, that I'm just sitting there like a blubbering idiot. Just Aren't they the cutest? Aren't they like the best grandchildren in the world? Emotions are good. We're not apologizing for God making us emotional people. I mean, falling in love. Thank you, God. (laughs) The ability to be faithful and true. Thank you, God. The the ability to, to even rejoice in the presence of the passing of a loved one when you know that they are in Jesus Christ. Oh, death, where is your sting? That's not a harsh saying. It's the truth. Here's our theology. This person is now with Christ. And so we can rejoice. Are we going to miss that person for a while? Yes. But we can rejoice in the truth. And so here's, in a world that says, man, champion your feelings. Put on the throne of your life so that you can dictate everything else, your emotions and your feelings. Here's what the truth of God's word says. I'm going to give you truth, and it's going to help do two things. Number one, it's going to guide our feelings. And do those things that are genuine, those that are true, and then it's going to guard our feelings. You remember those two things this morning about what truth, biblical truth, if you want to call it theology, whatever you want to, you know, describe it as. This is the design to guide our emotions and our mind, our intellect, and guard it. You stay out of the Word for a while. How many of you would confess? You don't have to raise your hand on this one. I think that it would be pretty unanimous. But I'll let you answer it for yourself. Don't answer it for the person beside you. When you're not in the Word for a while, when you're not in communication with other Christians, in fellowship. You're again. Kind of, how easy is it for your? emotions and your feelings, boom, 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 I mean pinball, guys. And it's based on what happens that day. And yet when you're in the Word, you truly can't come upon even the most devastating things of life. You just lost a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or whatever it might be. And yet they were in Christ. And You're going, okay, I'm sad because I'm going to miss mom. I'm going miss that, but I rejoice because I will see them again. Does that make sense? You get that truth from the word, and that word guides your feelings, and it guards your feelings, and I promise, if you put that test about how much time you're in the word, how much time you're in Christian fellowship, how much you're in, you know, surrounding yourself with the truth of God's word, and, and then taking that absent from your life, and then how much more feeling-oriented, emotionally-oriented you are, I promise you, every one of us have that human condition. Would you agree? That that we really are, except for the Word of God, guiding our feelings and guarding our feelings, left on our own, folks. Oh my goodness, we are emotional yo-yos. Before the fall, every day was a good day. Every time was a good time. But when man sinned and fell from the perfection that God had made, inconsistency entered our life. Sin entered our life, chaos in our life, turmoil, doubt. All those things became into our lives. And one of the premier ones was fear. Well, we've talked about it time and time and time again. But what was the first reaction of Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden and all of a sudden God's coming? They hid. They reacted in fear. Because God is just a mean old God. No, because sin had brought about a motion, a feeling that they had never experienced before. Remember in Revelation 21, 22, that we talked about that one of the neat things that we can't even imagine about heaven is that no more fear. There's no more chaos. There's no more trial. There's no more friction and tension in our lives. We can't even imagine that. But that's how life was before the fall. And it will be that way when the full redemption of Jesus Christ to all believers comes. And and that's the the characteristic of heaven that, that I hope you kind of embraced as we went through the last eight weeks. And so we start looking at things like my lucky socks. Has anybody ever had a pair of lucky socks? I mean, be honest. Our lucky hat. I mean, ball players, obviously the Atlanta Braves did not wear their lucky socks or hats or whatever this past week, okay? Whatever it was. I mean, baseball players truly are some of the most superstitious of all the sports that there are out there. I mean, guys just want, and I kept on telling Carly, I said, why does Strider have a beard? Don't change at the end of the season. You were clean-shaven except for the mustache all year long. Don't change it now. So I fell right into that. Don't change. (laughs) And it can be silly. Or guys, it can be really serious. When we don't have God's Word as the foundation to guide our feelings, to guard our feelings, we're kind of open to all kinds of different things. And in a life of uncertainties, We long for something that is certain. That's really the setting of John 14. The disciples had been with Christ again for about three years. They'd had good days and bad days, days filled with hope, and and days when they thought all were lost. And this is one of those days that they thought all was lost. Back in John chapter 12 and chapter 13, Jesus gave the disciples some crushing news. He was going to die, that one of them would betray him, and that one was going to deny him. I mean, talk about a life of uncertainties. He says, your lives are going to reflect the chaos that you're kind of feeling in your life right now. And it was in the midst of that uncertainty, in the midst of that friction, in the midst of that chaos, that Christ said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Uh, believe in God. Believe also in me. In the midst of, of what looked like uncertainty and hopeless, what does he do? He guides their hearts and he tries to guard their hearts about the coming days. Look what happens in verses 2 through 3. Look at the promise that he gives. He actually, to tie it into the last two weeks, he tells them the end of the story. Verse 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What was our whole theme throughout 8, 9, 10 weeks of Revelation 21, 22? We get God. Fishing, golf, car racing, I don't know. I don't think so, but we get God. That I know. And that's what he promises here. If I go, you know, people, you know, what about those mansions? Well, again, let me tell you guys, the best um, translation of the Greek word that's used there is not mansions. And so I don't want to disappoint people that you're not going to have mansions. No, you're going to have room with God. You're going to be in the presence of God. That's the emphasis of verse 2. But look what he says in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself that where I am you may be also uh, the early disciples took this literally they really did believe that Christ would come back in their lifetime and we've been, been believing that every generation since for 2000 years we're going okay this could happen i've already heard a couple of sermons this uh, this morning and this week on people tying the events of israel What's happening in Israel now, the Old Testament prophecies in Ezekiel 37 and other places. Guys, I'm not smart enough to figure all this out. Here's what I am smart enough to know. God said that Christ is coming back, and he's coming back. I don't know. I, I hope that doesn't disappoint you and your pastor, that I don't figure out who is Russia and China and Iraq and all these different ones, and, and what's the word in the Old Testament. Folks, I don't know. I can have my guesses and I have my thoughts, but here's what I know. Christ is coming back. I do know how the story ends. And I know the one that promised that for me. And I pray that God will increase my faith, that that would be enough. Am I curious? You better believe it. But do I have enough information to act upon and to build my faith and to give me hope in the midst of chaos? Yes. Yes. And that is my prayer for you. I would say that one of the most treasured prizes of Satan and his minions is to steal the hope from a believer. To put doubt where God has said, this is truth. To put question where God has made an explanation point, that he truly has said, no, this is you can count on this. To try to take the certainties of Christ. And turn them into uncertainty and fear. To take all the promises of God that have been made yes and amen in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And for us to have doubt and skepticism in their place. Truth is, God said, I've given you truth. I've told you the rest of the story. Because I want it to guide your hearts in this fallen world. And I want it to guard your hearts. And this is one of the reasons that we come to this table this morning. Christ has commanded those who are Christ followers to come to the table. And do you remember what the Bible says about how often we should do this as far as our, what's the longevity of this? Until he comes. <laughs> so let's link those together, okay? There's something about it. he's told us to stay into this story, and then he's invited us to come to this table, We're never told how often to take it. Some churches would do that every single week. We make it available every week for you, and others will do that on a quarterly basis. You know, we don't know. They probably took it quite often in the New Testament because they were meeting in houses. And so almost every time they were meeting together, they were probably taking the Lord's Supper in in the New Testament. We're not told a a number of times to take it, but we are told the purpose and, and the time frame. Do this until Jesus comes back. Is it strange that he would connect those two? What does coming to this table, what does the memory of his life, death, and resurrection, of drinking that it is symbolic of the blood that he shed for us and the, and the body that he gave to us, well, why is that something that the church, that believers in Christ in Christ's followers should do until he comes back? Why does he link those two? Because your life is chaos. My life is chaos. And he wants to guard our hearts with his truth. He wants to guide us, guys. And so as we come to this table, we remember what? He lived and died and rose again to give us victory over sin, death, and the grave. And he's coming back. And until he does, he invites us to come to this table. John 14, 4. We're pretty familiar with Thomas, doubting Thomas, as we would call him, and how he fails to kind of grasp the very truths of Christ for these three three years. But look what Jesus says. I think sometimes we miss verse 4 and we kind of go right to verse 5. And what does Jesus, Jesus say? And he said, and you know the way to where I'm going. He didn't say I have left you to figure out the way to go. Now he said, you know. He's talking to his disciples. You know the way that I'm going. Why? Because I've told you. I've told you the end of the story. I told you the chapters that are going to happen immediately, that I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be hung on the cross. I've told you that some one of you is going to deny me and one of you is going to betray me. I've told you some of these events. You know the way to where I'm going. What does Thomas say in verse 5? Thomas said, Him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Which one's right? <laughs> Thomas or Jesus? Because Jesus said, You know the way. And Thomas said, I don't know the way. And nobody else is speaking up either. <laughs> Is that not the Christian dilemma? That God has made truth known. Do you you believe, first part, that God has made his truth known? Do you believe that? Do you think that there's times that even though he says, you know the way, Bobby, that Bobby's going to say, but I don't know the way. Have you ever felt that, guys? That tension in your own spiritual wall? that even though God has said, this is truth, this is truth, and that all my truths, all my promises have been yet made yes and amen in, in Christ Jesus, that even though he's made all of this known, that there are moments, would you admit that there's moments of even a believer's life, a Christian's life, where we would say what Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? Have you ever been there before? It's a hard place in spiritual life, isn't it? Because we sure do have the answer for everybody else. Oh, just pray and believe. Just pray and believe. And somebody says that to you and you want to slap them. I mean, honestly, can those words, as true as they are, can they be caustic in the moment of your doubt and unbelief? Well, you just pray and believe. It doesn't diminish the truth, but what it shows is, Man, all of a sudden, our emotions are right in there, guys. I can so identify with Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you're going. I don't, let's paraphrase it. God, I don't know what you're doing next. Does that fit your life? So how can I know where to go? I don't have a job. I don't have a spouse, I don't have this, I don't have this. Uh, they said, my child may have something that's going to affect the rest of their life. And all of a sudden, in those real crises of life, those real things that happen to real people, even Christians who've placed their faith, where Jesus said, you know the way to go, that way in the reality of our lives, guys, can come to this place and go, but I don't know where to go. So thank God that that Jesus tells us in the next verse exactly where to go. John fourteen six. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, do you believe that this morning that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? How do we get that mental affirmation? How do we take that faith that believes that and apply that in times of chaos, in times where there's nothing but question marks in our practical, physical life? We look to the end of the story. I'm not trying to put doubt and fear into our lives. Has God promised any one of you that your children are going to live long and healthy lives and everything's just going to come up roses? Is that what you want for your children? I mean, I want it for me too. (laughs) But I really want it for my children and my grandchildren. And, And he hasn't promised me that. But what has he promised me? I am the way. I am the truth. I'm alive. He's told me the end of the story that in all the chaos and all the ups and downs of this world, there is a known answer. And that's why we come to this table. That's why he says, you do this until our return. But will there be the Lord's Supper in heaven? I I don't think so. I think it has a part and a place now to build our faith, to remind us of truth, to help us as we journey life to remember the end of the story. And once we get to the end of the story, we're not going to need that. Again, I'm I'm pretty much sure that we don't need faith in heaven. Why? Because we see reality as it is. We see God for who he is. That's strange to me that we would not need to have faith. But that's the promise that he's made. That we will see him as he is. What a glorious day. We just sang that this morning. And so what does the Bible tell us? I tell you the end of the story to do things. I want, I want to guide your heart and your emotions and your thinking toward the truth of the Scripture and the truth of who Christ is. And not only do I want to guide it, but I want to guard it. Because there's going to be a lot of other thoughts that start to try to invade your mind and your heart. And one of the ways that we guide, that he uses his word and his truth, to, to guide us and to guard us, is coming to this table. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what? You proclaim the Lord's death, that is all his work, till when? Till he comes. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, do you have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out if it's the promise of God? No. He he really made it for simpletons like myself. Keep on coming to this table. To do what? To to proclaim his death, his work. uh, All this story here until the end of the story. And that's why we come this morning. If, If you have put your full faith in Jesus Christ, is your Lord and Savior the only answer that you have? To be right with the Holy God, we invite you, whether you're a member of this church or whether you're a member of even this denomination, or we invite you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to come this morning to exercise that faith, to remind yourself of that truth. And I don't know where, maybe right now, life is so sunshine that you have to wear sunglasses. I, I don't know. Or perhaps right now, life is so full of questions that, that in in a way you said, Bobby, I need to run to the table this morning, not walk. I so much need to know and have reinforced in my mind and in my emotions, and my feelings the truth that God has made. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, thank you that you are patient with us. Thank you, Father, that you provided truth. And Father, thank you that you told us the end of the story. And Father, there's an incredible amount of theology involved with that. And yet, Father, this morning, thank you for the practicality of that that by knowing the rest of the story, as we come to the table this morning, Father, it can build our faith. It can reassure our doubts. Father, tell us, just as Thomas had asked, we don't know the way to go. And you'll remind us once again with the simple answer that Christ is the source of our hope, our life, our peace, our joy, In our rightness with you. And as we come to this table, we remember and we look forward to the end of the story. Father, we pray all this in the name of the one that made it possible, Christ our Lord. Amen.